Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's Word is truth and your questions matter. I'm your host, Jonathan Romero, and today we're going to be finishing up the first part of chapter 2. And what I mean is verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. Last episode, we spoke on the beginning first three verses, and I want to reread all of that. Uh, So let's read. Colossians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 and then we're gonna just unpack and see what the Lord has for us there in verses 4 and 5. So it says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. So let's go back to verse three. Well, verse 4. So, verse 4, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, right? So, when Paul says this, I say this, not only is he looking back to what he just mentioned about how he struggles for them and for those at Laodicea, uh, and that he's struggling that their hearts may be encouraged, um, because all of that is true. But he's also pointing back to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to talk a little bit more of that later. But he's not only pointing back to just that small section there. He's also speaking of what he has already said. Because we have to understand that chapters and verses did not exist until later, later. And I believe that the chapters and verses are helpful for us to search the scriptures and easily find what we're looking for in scripture. So when we think of John 3.16, we immediately know uh, what we mean when we say John 3.16. Well, what does it say? And uh, things like that. So when Paul is saying, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, uh, we have to understand that this is referring back to chapters 1 and 2. But what, what, what is he saying this in order what? He says, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So not even the intellectual uh, can lead you astray. And why is that? Because of what we already know. And what do we know? Well, chapter one is about the supremacy of Christ. He makes that the standard in showing that Christ is supreme over all things. And through the preaching 
of the gospel, right, by the blood of his cross, what, ha what is happening? Well, he's reconciling all things to himself, right? So, not only that, there in chapter 2, what do we know about Christ now? Not only is he supreme, but in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So that's another thing we can uh, understand about Christ, that in him we find all wisdom and knowledge. So he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul mentions that in Christ is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, when someone comes to stir up the truth and teach lies, we can test that. How can we test that? We can test that with a word of God since God's word is truth, right? So look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. So one chapter over, right? Lord willing, we're going to touch on this later. Um, but let's briefly look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, look at what it says. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to, in your hearts to God. Right? And even verse 17 is pretty good because it, it, it goes along with that letting of the word of Christ dwell within you richly. It says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, it's for God's glory that we do all these things. And it says, do everything in His name. Now, that doesn't mean go on and sin in His name. Obviously not, because that's not what we're called to do. Instead, we're called to let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. Um, and there is a connection between that and Ephesians, right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, uh, look at what it says. It's really close to what Colossians is saying. It says in verse 18 of chapter 5 in Ephesians, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And it says, giving thanks always and for everything do uh, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So to be filled with the Spirit is to let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. So, when we look at those two together and understand, how can I be filled with the Spirit? Well, are you filled with the Word of Christ? Are you letting the Word of Christ dwell within you richly? To the point where you're overflowing with the Word of Christ, right? Now, we do not respond in such a way where we try to come up with words that sound eloquent, and nice, or even intelligent, but instead we respond 
to this world with God's word because God's word is truth. And God's word is alive and active as we are told in Hebrews. So because of that, we can now teach and admonish one another in all wisdom because the word of Christ is dwelling within us richly. And that causes us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But who is receiving these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Well, that's the Lord. It says, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. To God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's Colossians chapter 3, right? So let me ask you, how much of Christ have you searched? Right? If we are to allow the word of Christ dwell within us richly, have you been doing that? Right? How much of Christ have you searched? Are you confident in defending your faith when plausible arguments arise? Are you able to do that? And if you're not, I would urge you to search the scriptures, search the word of God, and do not just know it, but put it into practice. Understand and live your life as if the word of God is true, and what God has said in his word is true. Right? That's how we ought to live in this world. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at what it says in verses 10 through 9. It says, if you put these things before the brothers, right? What things? Well, Paul just made a mention that some will depart from the faith. And why is that? Because of these plausible arguments that arise, these false teachings, right? Deceitful spirits that are teaching falsely to the people. And the ones who end up following away are those who are not rooted in Christ. So listen to what it says in verse 6 of First Timothy chapter 4. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. So yeah, so Paul is telling Timothy because Timothy is playing a big part here at the church that he is going to pastor. So Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And what is he saying? He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Meaning if you're going to, if you teach them these things, if you teach them the truth of God. And then he says, being trained in the words of the faith, right? What we know about Christ, the gospel, and of the good doctrine that you have followed, right? Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And how do we train ourselves for godliness, right? So, Paul is telling Timothy, train yourself for godliness. How is that done? Well, we must understand, again, going back to knowing that the word 
of God is alive and active, that the Word of God actually sanctifies us, makes us more like Christ, then in order for us to train ourselves for godliness, we must learn and know the Word of God and revere the Word of God, right? We must understand the Word of God is not to be elevated as God because it is not God. It's Scripture. It's His Word, not Him. But it's our ultimate authority in how we ought to live our lives here and what we ought to know about God and ourselves, right? Because it all points to Christ and what He has done for us, His life, His death, burial, resurrection, His ascension, and His return. It's all in Scripture from the beginning to the end. It's always been about God. It's always been about Christ and what He has done for us. Not what God can do for us, but what God has done for us in spite of our fallenness, in spite of our sinfulness. Scripture says that Christ died for us. So the least we can do is search the scriptures to understand who this God is. Why would he step into his own creation to save his people from their sins? We must understand that. But also, through that understanding, we will train ourselves for godliness. We will now live our lives as if I don't care what people think about myself. Instead, I am here to live for God because he has given me life and he has called me, each and every one of us, he has called us to preach this gospel, right? In one shape, form, or another, right? We must understand that the mandate is the same for all people, that we, are to, we ought to, what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded, and that is done through the church, right? God has given us the church so that we must, so that we can gather. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people of God. We are the church, right? We are the body of Christ. So yeah, going back to this, going back to Colossians chapter 2 verse 4. And it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. You see, the, the purpose for verse 4 is to show and point back to chapter 1, which is the sufficiency of Christ, and chapter 2, which is sufficient for godliness, right? Because what? In Christ is hidden all knowledge and wisdom. And that's what we are, we are to gain in this life. We are to gain wisdom. Because through this wisdom, we will be able to act right and be representatives of God to a world who hates God, right? Scripture says, Jesus says, that the world is going to hate us. And why? Because they first hated him, right? And through our love for one another, they will know that we are disciples of Christ. So you see, this is far different than any other religion. Because through this, God entered his own creation. And now we have an intimate relationship with the Lord. 
And that's done through the word, right? When we pray to God, God is hearing us, right? We're communicating to the Lord and we're giving our petitions to him through, through our prayer. And then how does God respond? Well, through his word. We read his word and God is responding to us and it is alive and active. That means it's going to be just as alive tomorrow as it is today and a hundred years from now. So God's word is truth and it remains to be truth. So we must understand that and not neglect the word of God as if, well, I already know that, so I don't need to know that again. No, we must search the scriptures because what, what does it say? In Christ is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. So that now whenever someone comes up to us and tries to stir up what we know about God because we've been abiding by his word, if we love God, we will abide by his word. And they try to stir us up and teach us lies. Well, we can easily, we can easily get that out of our face because we know the word of God. And how will we respond? Well, with the word of God. You see, again, we don't try to respond with our own arguments that sound plausible. And it may be right, but... What better way to respond than with the word of God that is alive and active and that has authority? So that's what we must take away from this. That not only do we respond back to that, but as we read, that we are to have nothing with irreverent silly myths and rather we are to train ourselves for godliness for uh, bodily training is of some good value. Godliness is a very is of value in every way, right? That saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, right? We ought to be taught these things. We ought to learn all these things. We ought to be sober-minded and watchful because why? It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, right? Someone who is wavy in her faith, wavering in her faith. And then at verse 9, it says, resist him, firm in your faith. This is how we resist him, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. And it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That is a beautiful section, beautiful piece of scripture. Uh, that Peter has given us through his letter. And we are called to humble ourselves before the Lord because in the proper time, what he will exalt us. And not only that, we ought to be sober-minded. How do we do that? Well, in season and out of season, we must be ready. We must stand in this truth 
be rooted in Christ. Because if we are rooted in Christ, there's nothing that can shake us, right? Only that which is not rooted will be shaken and brought down. But us who are in Christ, we will not be shaken because we are on the firm foundation of Christ. So when we go back to Colossians chapter 2, and it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Well, that's true. If we understand that all wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ, if we understand that Christ is supreme above all things, then whatever comes our way, we will be able to, um, we will be able to respond properly, especially if we have been abiding by his word, right? Because I am remi reminded of what, the Lord says when he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan comes to tempt him and tells him to make this rock or whatever rock into bread. Satan understands and knows that the Lord can do that. But what does the Lord reply? He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we must be the same way. We must not only put our focus on physical bread, but spiritually, we must fill ourselves with the word of God because that is our bread. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Daily, we must be in the word of God so that we may be strong whenever those plausible arguments arise. And just going back on that, plausible arguments, just one thing. Plausible arguments is one word which basically refers to a speculative argument, right? An argument that is coming from a speculative thinking, not necessarily an empirical demonstration, right? It is a speculative argument. And that's why no one may delude us when we are, what, rooted in Christ, when we understand what Paul is saying when he says, I write this in order that, is that we must understand the supremacy of Christ and who he is and that all things were created for him. They were all created through him and for him. He created all things and he holds together. He holds everything together. And in him is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. So, let's go to chapter 2, verse 5 now. It says, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So, even though Paul is in prison physically, he mentions that his spirit is with the Colossians. This is to say that through Christ we are united no matter the circumstance or our place of location, right? Paul's love and concern for the saints is sure since he makes that mention. 
that he is with them in spirit. And that's what he's saying here. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Why is that? Again, he is in prison. So obviously he cannot be there physically with the people, but he's with them in the spirit. But how is that possible? Well, again, us as believers, when someone is hundreds and thousands of miles away, we can say that we are with them in spirit. And through that, we can pray to the Lord for them, interceding for them, in a sense that we are praying with them that same prayer that they're asking prayer for. Um, if they are in need of prayer. And also, it's it's an encouragement, right? For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul can only say this because Epaphras brought the word to them, that they are doing well in the spirit. But... Another reason why Paul is writing this letter is because there are false teachers that are teaching false doctrines. So Paul makes a mention that they understand that in Christ is hidden all wisdom and knowledge. That Christ is supreme above all things. He's actually God. Because that Paul makes that mention in Colossians. And... Now we, we, we see that he's rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ, it says. So, yeah, notice his rejoicing. It's rooted in seeing, seeing what? Their good order and their firmness in Christ. Right, so their good order how they compose themselves amongst themselves and amongst others in the world, right? And how do we do that? Well, God calls us to be holy for he is holy. We are to live peaceable lives with all people. But not only that, when these plausible arguments arise, we may not be deluded by that. Instead, we will respond rightly with the word of God why we believe what we believe, why we trust in what we trust. And like I said, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-9, through 9, the way we resist the devil is through our firmness in the faith. Right? Because Paul is saying that he's rejoicing in seeing their good order, right? Their holy living, and also their firmness of faith in Christ. How firm are you in Christ? It's my question. How firm are you in Christ? Because scripture tells us that the way we resist the devil th is through the firmness of our faith. Right? Let me reread that one more time. In verse 9 it says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And before that, we're told to be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
you see. With the word of God as Christ with the word of God. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and being tempted by the devil, the Lord responded with God's word, showing that Satan was wrong. And what happened? He fled. He went away. Right? The Lord was tempted with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But because he was without sin, he had no intentions to sin. No wavering thoughts. But he was tempted. Scripture says he was tempted. And we see that Satan was tempting him. So we must be like the Lord and respond back with the word of God. Don't you know that the Lord has said? And then you refer back to scripture. But if you can't do that and you can't respond what does that tell us about our firmness in the faith? What does that tell us about when these times arise, when we are challenged by our faith, right? So I would encourage you to search the scriptures, study it and learn it so that we may know how to respond to anybody and everybody when these plausible arguments arise so that we may not be deluded by it, but instead they may be pierced by the word of God because it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And not only that, if we believe the word of God, then we ought to believe that the gospel of God is the power of God unto salvation. We must believe that. And that's for those who believe, right? Because the gospel is preached to everyone, but not everyone will come to Christ. So we must understand that as well. Not be discouraged that just because you preach the gospel to someone, then they have to be saved or they will be saved. No, we allow the Lord to do that. We are called to proclaim this truth to them, pray for them, and then allow the Lord to do what he is going to do. But I would say, root yourself in the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. Admonish one another. And in order to do that, you must be with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and I would say those of the local church, if you're plugged in. If you're not, I would challenge you to plug in to yourself to a God-fearing church who preaches the Word of God and teaches the word of God and has a reverence to the Lord in such a way that they understand the necessity for the word of God to be preached and not just mere demonstrations and, and, and plays and, and, and such things that has nothing to do with what God has said in his word, right? Instead, they revere the word of God as authoritative and as what needs to be and ought to be preached behind a pulpit. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero.